contract, but a covenant is, is, is more than a contract. It's much deeper than a contract. A contract is something where, you know, uh, parties get together, two people get together and they sign a contract, uh, which, which is a good thing, but it can also very easily be broken. There's, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, ways to get out of a contract. There's a lot of clauses in it. There, you know, there's prenups and et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so uh, they can easily be broken. But a covenant, when we're we're speaking of covenant from a biblical standpoint, it's far above the exchange of properties and things. You know, the covenant is the giving of one's whole person and life to another person and the wholehearted receiving of that other person into his or her life. Marriage is a picture of covenant that God has with the church, the bride of Christ. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. So it's much more meaningful than a contract. So a marriage covenant is two lives coming together. All assets and liabilities become, you know, they all are equally shared. And so it's a marriage covenant. A covenant is made with an oath and ratified with the shedding of blood. And so we have that throughout Scripture. An oath is a solemn affirmation. It's a binding of oneself to the fulfillment of the words that are spoken while we are appealing to God. Again, in a marriage ceremony, you have the bride and the groom are making their public vows to one another in the presence of God. One man and one woman coming together, declaring their vows before Almighty God. That that is a marriage covenant. God has entered into covenant with man through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the origins of the covenant in, in, in the Old Testament. The other thing you can think of when, you're, when we're speaking of covenant, you can also use the word testament. It's very similar to covenant. In the Bible, we have what people refer to as the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old covenant, new covenant. And so those, those, are, those words uh, have a lot of similar, similarity to them. But by calling on God while making an oath, two parties such as in a marriage, you know, uh, there's a covenant made. God is the third party in that covenant. And once made with an oath, a covenant is non-negotiable and could not be altered, not to be altered. And so a blood covenant that God has entered into with the human race The reason God entered into covenant with us, and it originated in Genesis chapter 15 when he approached Abram. Now his name was changed to Abraham after the covenant. That's one of the, the, the characteristics of covenant. There's an exchange of names. There's an exchange of possessions and so forth, but an exchange of names. So the reason God did that is God's original intent for humanity is found in the beginning of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. That is, he told Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden, and, and his desire for them was to have dominion over all the earth. Well, that dominion was given to them. God turned it over to Adam and Eve to have dominion over all the earth. And so complete and full, and, and full was that authority that God rendered over to Adam and to Eve that Adam had the authority and the ability to yield that God-given authority to rule and to reign on the earth. He gave it over to Satan. The serpent came into the garden, deceived Eve, Adam and, and Adam and Eve entered into sin. They broke 
that covenant relationship of, of humanity, God's creation, man, to rule and to reign on the earth. Now God has his humanity, his creation on the earth. His desire was for us to rule and to reign, but we're no longer ruling and reigning because Adam entered into transgression. Adam is the representative of all of humanity. And when, we, when you look at uh, covenant throughout scripture, there's always a, a, there's always a covenant representative. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath represented all of his people. David represented all of Israel. Goliath said, come out and fight me. If I prevail, you and your people will become our servants. David is saying, I'll come out and fight you, not with a sword and a spear, but I'm coming out to you as an uncircumcised Philistine. Why did David bother saying that? Why was he, you know, today you might think he's trash talking. I'll come out against you, you uncircumcised Philistine. He, re he referred to him as an uncircumcised Philistine. He was identifying Goliath as someone who's not in covenant with Almighty God. So when you're reading the Bible and you come across the word circumcision, uncircumcision, you say, why, why are they even talking about that? Why, why, why does this have to be part of the discussion? And uh, some of you uh, younger people, if you don't understand exactly what we're talking about, your assignment is to ask your mom and dad on the way home. <laughs> they want to be involved in your lives, so this would be a good place to get them involved. <laughs> it's more than just an ouch factor, okay? <laughs> It has some covenant meaning to it. It was a sign of a covenant, the shedding of blood. So David was in covenant with God, and he, he approached Goliath as a covenant child of God, and that's why he had the ability to be victorious over Goliath. David's victory was a victory for all of Israel. When David took down Goliath, the entire army that was paralyzed in fear for weeks and weeks, and refused to do anything, all of a sudden they're shouting, they're whooping it up, they're celebrating as if it's their victory. David's the one that went out and defeated Goliath, but they're celebrating. And rightfully so, because David was their representative. David's victory over Goliath was all of Israel's victory, even the Israelites that were not yet born. It was even our victory, and we weren't even born. Goliath's defeat was the defeat of all his people. So that was a covenant, that was more than just a, you know, a, a bullying event in the backyard where the little guy ended up being victorious. It had to do, it was a demonstration of covenant. So God's desire to be in covenant, Adam blew it, so God is, God is mediating a way to get back into a relationship with man so that man can again have dominion on the earth. So that we can again rule and reign. In covenant, there's an exchange of names. That's why in the new covenant, we have the authority to do kingdom work in the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. In a marriage, there's an exchange of, you know, the bride takes on the, the groom's name. And so with the authority to do business in that new name. And so we have covenant. God's looking for a way to get back in. So God approached Abraham. God approached Abram and made a proposition to Abram, to Abram and said, here's what I want to do through your life. You're going to 
you and Sarah, I know you're past childbearing age, but you're going to have a supernatural child. And they did. And later, God asked him to sacrifice his child, and Abraham was willing to sacrifice his child because he believed that if he did sacrifice him, God would raise him up. And God did. God provided a sacrifice. So the similarities there are the things that Abraham believed and trusted God are the things that we believe about our God, that God brought in his son Jesus in fullness of time. His son was sacrificed, and on the third day, he raised him from the dead. So it's all these covenant principles and parallels tying the old and the new together, but the new is completely new. It's completely new. It's a brand new system. It's brand new. So through Abram, God entered into covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, he begins talking about the covenant, how in him and through his seed, all the nations, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Everyone say blessed. Through him, all the families would be blessed. And so the whole thing was progressing. Get into Acts, excuse me, get into Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. God spoke to Abram again and said, Abram, I'm commanding you to walk upright before me. To walk upright before me, you know, make no mistakes, be faultless, and to walk upright before me all the days of your life. That was a command to Abram. Well, if you look at Abram's life, Changed to Abraham. If you look at his life, he, he purposed to walk with God, but he wasn't faultless. He real quickly yielded to Sarah's advice that he entertain her handmaiden. So he wasn't faultless. But the command to walk upright and to be blameless, that command to Abram, was fulfilled in Abram's seed, and his name is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the covenant command of God for God to enter back into a realm of having authority on the earth through his creation, mankind, men and women, covenant children of God. God entered into this relationship with Abram for that very specific purpose is to bring us back into a rightful position, a place of authority to rule and to reign and to have dominion on the earth. In Galatians chapter 3, we'll turn there for a moment. Galatians, the third chapter. Verse, uh, let me read verse 13 and 14. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The promise of the Spirit was given to Abram. We made reference to it in Genesis chapter 15 where God spoke to Abram to him, in you, Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus 
came into this as the seed of Abraham. Look at verse 29 of Galatians chapter 3. It says, if you are Christ, you know, as if you're a child of God, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise what? The promise that God made to Abraham. You are an heir to that promise as a child of God. The promises were made to Abraham's seed, which is Christ. Christ fulfilled the demand of the covenant by being blameless and upright all the days of his life. And as a result of that, God entered into a new and a better covenant. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, it says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. This is speaking of Jesus. And when you're reading the book of Hebrews, whenever you read the book of Hebrews, always think of it as a book that is celebrating, contrasting, the old and the new. It's celebrating by contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant. It's really a theme that's throughout, that's throughout the book of Hebrews. And so when, when, you, when you read it, it helps you really understand what's going on because the language really keeps going back and forth. And, but if you, if you look at it in that light, contrasting and celebrating. In verse 6, says, uh, but now he, speaking of Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. A better covenant established on better promises. The next verse, verse 7 says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Knows if the first covenant that God entered into would have been faultless, there would have been no place for a second. Under the old covenant, when God entered into covenant with man, blessings and cursings were pronounced over the covenant. If you obey the covenant, these are the blessings that you can participate in. You can fully anticipate these are your blessings. If you break the covenant, this is the penalty for breaking the covenant. If you violate the covenant, this is a penalty. One of the best illustrations of that you can read in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Moses listed the blessings of obedience in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you, the blessings of obedience, and then around verse 15, it transitions over to the curses of disobedience. And it lists a whole lot of things that are not very nice at all. And it's a result of disobedience. And a lot of, a, a lot of, Ministries today still threaten to control their people by threatening them that if you don't obey, this is what can happen, or this happened because someone obviously broke covenant, or someone, act, someone must have sin in their life, so this, this is the reason this happened. The reason this person didn't get their healing is that there must be this situation over here. You, know, so you always have to have a, a cause and effect way to explain things. Well, that's Old Covenant. We have a new one. Everyone say, well, I have a new one. Thank God we have a new one. He's working it from the inside out. So there's blessings and cursings. And so there have the, God has his covenant with his people. And if you read through the Old Testament, you know, read through Genesis and you look at the covenant, and eventually Abram has the promised child is born and, and things are coming along, progressing, and, and then... 
you, you read about the people of Israel going into bondage, and you read about the children of Israel going into uh, idol worship. You read about the children of Israel just being, a, God calls them a stiff-necked people. Finally, you get to, uh, in Exodus chapter 22, somewhere in there, you get to the, Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God, and while he's up there meeting with God, they're getting impatient, and so they, all of a sudden, they, they ended up making a golden calf. And they completely turned on God. They completely turned on Moses. And they talked Aaron into, into, into this golden calf thing. And all of a sudden, Moses is coming down from the mountain. And the people are no longer worshiping God. They're not into idol worship. They're worshiping a golden calf. And it's just badly, badly abused the covenant. Trampled all over. Trampled over everything God was expecting of them. And God was sworn to their destruction because of the covenant. If you disobey... This is what will happen. And he had in mind to do away with all of them. But Moses interceded. Everyone say, but Moses. Moses. See, as a covenant partner, you can intercede. You see the covenant in action. Abraham's interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, and God changed his mind. Moses interceded for the people of Israel, and God relented. You can come Wednesday night and intercede and expect God to change things. And you can pray anytime. It doesn't have to be on Wednesday night, but I'm just saying you as a covenant child of God have tremendous authority, much more authority and influence than you can even imagine. It's hard to wrap your mind around the authority and the influence that God has given to us as his covenant children. So they badly trampled the whole covenant, but God relented because Moses, as a covenant child of God, also he interceded, God relented, and he introduced the Levitical priesthood. All right, I'm going to be graceful, I'm going to be merciful, but we're going to introduce a priesthood here, and in this priesthood there's going to have to be sacrifices. The price must be paid. There's a penalty for this sin. Blood must be shed. Leviticus says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The Levitical priesthood was instituted. You have the priest, you have the annual pilgrimage you had to make, and you had to bring a lamb and whatever according to the size of the family. If it's a small family, you could share with another family. All these rich and rules and regulations that you had to abide by and sacrifices that had to be made. Thank God I was not called into the ministry under the Levitical priesthood where I'd have to get up in the morning and come and take your animal and sacrifice your animal and sprinkle blood on you. That'd probably be the most enjoyable part, but other than that, (laughs) you sinned again. (laughs) Let me cleanse you. But thank God it's not under Levitical, under the Levitical priesthood. So that was a whole system that God brought into being in order to atone for people's sin. But when you read through the Old Testament, you get into Hebrews where it's contrasting old and new. You find out that the, the animal sacrifices were not sufficient. It didn't forgive people of their sins. It was from the outside rather than from the inside out. They still had a guilt and a consciousness of sin, even though an animal lost its life, an innocent animal lost its life and shed its blood to cover over, to atone for their sin. It never wiped it away. It just simply atoned for it. It covered it up, covered it up. That's all it did. You always felt guilty. That's why we should not be feeling guilty anymore. We're not under old covenant. You're forgiven. You say, oh, but I just, just, man, I, I really blew it. I really messed things up. You're forgiven. 
but I really, really, really messed things up, but you're forgiven. That's why sometimes I get a little leery of people and their testimonies, and, just, and they keep going around the country and just sharing their testimony over and over again, how bad they were, what they did, what they did, what they did. Now, let's stop talking about what we did, and let's start talking about what Jesus did for us. Amen. It needs to be more about what Jesus did for us than what we did. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So the Levitical priesthood was instituted, but that whole thing ended up the law and the Levitical priesthood was incorporated into this covenant. And sometimes people say, well, tithing's not, tithing's under the law. No, Abraham, tithing was instituted with Abraham 400 years before the law. It was incorporated into the Levitical priesthood, but it didn't start with the law, and it's still intact today. It's still a principle that God has intact today. The law of seed time and harvest time is still very much alive today. So the Levitical priesthood was given because God in his mercy, he was sworn to wipe out the population, but Moses interceded, so in his mercy, he said, okay, I'm going to provide you a Levitical priesthood, and this Levitical priesthood is going to appoint you, it's going to be your teacher. The, the, the law was given to be our teacher, to point us back to God, and to point us, and, and the sacrificial system was ordained to show us that there's going to come a man Eventually, there's going to come from the seed of Abraham a man that is going to be pure and blameless without sin and without fault, even though he was tempted with sin. In all points, even as we are, this man never yielded to it. This man is going to qualify to go to the cross and to shed his blood to enter into a new and better covenant. Anyone want to guess what his name is? Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now think about this as a little side note here. Again, you read through the Bible and you read through the Gospels. You read the lineage of Jesus and you hear about the stories of that whole lineage and just some of the things that happen. I'm thinking, don't ever write about my family tree with that level of information. I'm more private than that. I mean, there's just some stuff written about the lineage of Jesus that I don't want in my family tree. And if it is in my family tree, I do not want it written. In. <laughs> don't bother writing. But it realized, I realized one day that that was an attack of the enemy of Satan all along to prevent the seed of Jesus from manifesting. It was, attack, it was an attack of the enemy. So now when you read through the Old Testament you, and you read about the, the very bad things that happen, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm letting you to your imagination, what happened, Pastor Ray? I'm, I'm doing that on purpose because I want you to read it. I'm not going to tell you everything. <laughs> you read it. But here's what I want you to realize. I used to read it over the years and you think, why is that in there? Why is that in the Bible? That shouldn't even be in the Bible. How are people that are not Christians reading this, how are they ever going to become a Christian? Why would they want to be a Christian if this is what the Bible is all about? And one day, it was revealed to me that the spotlight is not on all these gross sins 
that transpired. The spotlight is on the grace of Almighty God that in spite of all this evil stuff that took place in the lineage of Jesus, God's grace still prevailed. The seed was still manifested. Jesus was born in due time. He was manifested. He was born through the Virgin Mary in, in due time. And he was, he was the one that lived blameless and upright Sin, attempted to sin, but never sinned. He qualified to go to the cross, and he's the one that went to the cross, and he shed his blood, and when his blood was shed, he died and was buried, and when God raised him up from the dead, we entered into a new and a better covenant based on better promises. Thank God for that. Amen. New and a better covenant. So this new covenant, this new and better covenant that we are celebrating today, that we are privileged to live in this time that we live in today. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, uh, he satisfied uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he completely, uh, the justice was satisfied. The, the eternal courts were satisfied. The, the penalty had been paid. The penalty had been paid. You ever hear someone say that someone needs to pay for this injustice? Someone needs to pay for this. Someone needs to go to jail. Someone needs to pay. It's a rally cry for people. Well, someone did pay. His name is Jesus. Someone did pay. His name is Jesus. So Jesus is resurrected. He rose from the dead, a new covenant man. He is untouchable by sin. He is now untouchable by death. He is now seated at the right hand of God to carry out this New Testament to ever make intercession for you and I. This new covenant that we are talking about, the new and better covenant, is between God and Jesus Christ, an immortal man who is incapable of failure. God will never fail. Jesus will not fail. Therefore, the covenant between God and Jesus will never fail, will never be rendered void. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the courts of eternal justice are completely satisfied. Jesus took our place, and he paid the penalty. Get this. Get this. Jesus took our place. He paid the penalty for breaking covenant. But Pastor Ray, someone has to pay. I sin, and there has to be a penalty for my sin. There is a penalty. There was a penalty. But the good news is it's already paid for. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid it all. You and I, as followers of God, once again, have a legal right to enter into the very presence of our Heavenly Father, into the holies of holies, with boldness, with confidence, without any sense of guilt or condemnation, knowing that my covenant relationship with God is not void, it's not rendered ineffective because of my weaknesses, because of my failures. It's not based on me. It's based on Jesus, who represents me. That's why the Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, ever making intercession for the saints. 
That doesn't mean that he's praying 24-7 for all the people. It just simply means that the presence of Jesus next to Almighty God just simply means that I can come to God and I can talk to him and he'll hear me and he'll answer me because I have the authority to use the name, the name of Jesus. Because my covenant, your covenant, will never fail. It's not based on whether you're perfect or not perfect. I know some of you are thinking you're perfect, but that's your downfall. But that's okay, because Jesus is perfect. He is perfect. And because he is perfect, I am perfectly acceptable before Almighty God at any time. There was a time in my life if I had a bad attitude or I felt like I wasn't walking upright to the degree that I should have, that I, I, I wouldn't go to God. I, you know, I, I'd wait a couple days until I felt I spent enough time feeling guilty. And then I'd go to God. But you want to practice growing up spiritually, practice this. The very next time you lose your temper, you say something you shouldn't say, you do something you shouldn't do, immediately go to God and thank him for his goodness and his mercy. Say, here I am, God. I'm here again. I'm here again. And do it, do it immediately. And you really realize that Jesus really paid it all. He really did pay it all. Amen? That's a quick synopsis of the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. But just know this, God will not fail. Jesus will not fail. Therefore, your covenant, God's promises to you that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise will never be rendered null and void. Say, well, I don't qualify. I don't qualify. I messed up. I don't qualify. I messed up right now. Oh, yes, you do qualify through Jesus Christ. Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. He loves you, and he wants the very best for you. Ushers, go ahead and start passing out the communion elements. We're going to celebrate this by receiving communion this morning. In Luke chapter 22... In Luke chapter 22, in verse 14, let me read this to you. It said, when, when the hour had come, he sat down, speaking of Jesus, and the 12 apostles with him, he said to them with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now just think about that one verse there just for a moment. Jesus is taking the covenant meal. He knows it's the last time that he's going to do it because he's going to be tried and he's going to go to the cross. But he's saying with fervent desire, I'm ready to get on with it. I am so ready to be your substitute. I'm ready. I want to do this. I want to be, I am so ready to be your covenant representative to enter into this covenant with Almighty God. I am faultless. I have been blameless. I have what it takes to go to the cross, to suffer, to shed my blood, so that you can be free. Verse 16 says, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread 
gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, catch this, verse 20, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. This cup is the new covenant. Everyone say new covenant. covenant. Say better covenant. better covenant. I'm gonna make my way back here and I'm gonna get my communion stuff. Right here, Scott. <laughs> I'm gonna come back here, I'm gonna get my bread. Thank you. Now just take a few moments of quiet and just reflect on the reality that it's not about you. This is about Jesus. When we're taking communion, what we're simply doing today is we're saying, thank you, Lord, that you have entered into this new covenant. You entered into this covenant with God as being faultless and as being blameless. And you did it for me. He did it for all of humanity, but today he, he did it for you. He did it for you. No more guilt, no more condemnation. Under the old, it only covered over people's transgressions. Under the new, it's a reminder that we are forgiven. Nothing's covered over here. We're not hiding anything. You're forgiven. No buts, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Father, we reflect on your goodness, your mercy. When we deserve judgment, when we deserve death, you presented Jesus, you provided Jesus, and he paid our penalty. Even as Moses interceded for the children of Israel, when Abram interceded, you relented, you changed your mind, and you extended mercy. And Father, that mercy was a good thing. It was far better than being annihilated. But today, we have an even greater covenant, a new and a better covenant based on better promises. Father, open up the eyes of our heart to understand, to comprehend, to come to a place of appreciation in full remembrance that Jesus paid it all and that all to him we owe. Gratitude, worship, honor. So Father, this morning, we consider it a privilege to again remind ourselves to renew our thinking as to who we are in Christ covenant children of God here on the earth to do your bidding, to do your will. Authorized in the name of Jesus to do kingdom work. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a tremendous influence. As we're yielded to you, Father, you continue to manifest yourself in and through us from the inside out. You're bringing about transformation. 
We're coming into your likeness more and more each and every day. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In verse 19, he said, He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you to do this in remembrance of me. So as we take of the bread, it's remembering that his body was broken for us. Go ahead and receive it. Thank you, Father. That on that cross, your body was broken to pay the penalty so that ours could be made whole. Thank you for wholeness. Thank you for wellness. Thank you for your goodness toward us, Father, in Jesus' name. And Lord God, you also took the cup after supper, saying this is the cup of the new covenant. So Father, we receive this today in reminder, in remembrance, that we have a new and a better covenant based on better promises. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You have a new and a better covenant, and it's based on better promises. So enjoy it, celebrate it, shout it out, live it to the full, and remember, there's no more consciousness of sin because you are now a child of the Most High God, forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. We love you. If you pass your cups to the center, the ushers will pick them up, and then we'll go ahead and dismiss you. Remember the different home groups, uh, uh, grace groups that are starting up this week, Wednesday night prayer. Next week, next Sunday morning, where's Alex? Alex sitting or something? Alex, who led worship this morning, is, we're putting him to work. He's going to minister the word next Sunday morning. So, so you want to come on out for that, invite some friends, and be, be a great time. So praise God. It's so good to see you. We love you. Have a terrific rest of the day, and we'll see you real soon. God bless you.